Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Palomo of Pinnacle with us. As always today, we've had a couple of weeks where one Martin was out of town and then I was out of town, but we're back together. And um, you might guess that there's plenty of things to talk about as it pertains to uh, money and the fact that many of our minds are on our money or trying to just ignore what's happening to our money. We'll get to all those things in a minute. I'll tell you first, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for my friend Corey. He'll tell you, give him an idea of what you're looking for. He'll give you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours right to the bottom line. There's no haggle, no hassle. You get your quote and the rest completely up to you. You can shop it around. You can do what I've done and what I recommend that you do and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. And Martin, before we get completely rolling, and on whatever tracks we end up on, tell people about what's going on with Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys. Yeah, man, uh, things are things are weird right now with uh, with markets, which makes you know, which makes uh, sometimes people's anxiety levels rise, and and uh, and maybe we could take a little take a little uh, a little wisdom from our boy Snoop Dogg in our credits, and we can just roll down the street and sip a little indo or wait no rolling down the street smoking indo yeah smoke the indo sip on a little gin and juice and calm ourselves down because dude it is it is wild and uh it's funny i had a i had a had a client call in yesterday she was just real nervous um and we went directly to look at her cash flows and um and I told her, I said, look, even if you, and when I showed it to her, you know, and the math is just the math. It doesn't lie. And I was like, even if we had awful markets for the next 10 years, you are still okay. And, uh, cause she was asking, you know, gosh, should I just sell out and go to cash? And, and that's always what people's initial response is, is, you know, I just need to go to cash. I can't take it anymore. But I told her, I was like, look, you do that. And I mean, you can, it's your money. But you're paying me to give you advice. Really, you're you're paying me to when we're on the roller coaster and we're going down the hill, which we are and have been going down the hill. You know, really, you've all you've done is bought you've bought two tickets to the roller coaster. Your your own ticket and a ticket for me to keep your ass in the seat uh, instead of bailing when we're when we're going downhill. And you know, by the end of it, she saw like, hey, she's good, and the cash flows are good. And her retirement is not going to be derailed by what's going on in the markets. And, um, you know, and that's kind of where I think that's where firms like ours are really beneficial to clients in times like this, where, you know, your anxiety levels are high. You're opening up your statement. You know, your heart's pounding out of your chest. You're hoping that it looks different than it did last month. And you open it and you're like, oh, my God, it's worse. And uh, and man, if, if you don't if you don't have a plan or you haven't seen your plan worked out and all you can think about is, you know, I, I have no idea whether I'm good or not good, but my statements look awful. 
then you're just going to worry yourself to death and stroke out and have a heart attack. So I think that's why it's so important for, you know, for people in my industry to not just talk about investments, to really also talk about, you know, are you okay? Are you on, on track? Or are you not on track? Uh, to give people a little bit of peace of mind and in periods like this, because in periods like this, there's really nothing that I can do, nothing you can do. Everything that I can do, I've already done last year to set up for a time like this. So, you know, it's like now when, when, uh, when there's blood in the street and the world feels like it's on fire, now is not the time to go buy, you know, the fire insurance. Um, but anywho, so if, if I kind of just described what you're feeling or your situation, uh, you know, you can give us a call 601 957 And, uh, if we can be of service to you or if it makes sense for you and us, then, you know, we can talk and, and, uh, you know, and if you say, Hey, this doesn't make sense for me, it's no harm, no foul. We're not going to be upset about it. Um, but you can also reach us uh, at info at my P I N N wealth.com. All right. I don't, I'm not even sure I know where to start. Um, as we tape this, it's a Thursday afternoon, about one forty-five in the afternoon, central time. Um, Dow Jones is down. S&P 500 is down. NASDAQ's up a little, actually. The Russell 2000 is up. The Dow Jones total market is basically stagnant. Um, headline is, a move into safer investments yields sends treasury yields lower. U.S. stocks wavered on growing worries of an economic slowdown that sent investors into the haven of government bonds. That's one of the headlines. Uh, another is number receiving jobless benefits at 52-year low, which is good. Uh, another high inflation, slowing growth, raised risk of global downturn, which is scary. Yep. Um, I hear people uttering the R word a lot. Um, you know. Yeah, and we should talk about that in the show, too. So well, let's kind of start there because that's the big thing that people hear, right? Is that yeah? Here we're going into we're going into the summer months. Yep. Um, gas prices, the rumors are, are going to go up to six bucks a gallon. Um, the cost of food is up. There are yep. shortages. Uh, the, the 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 we're sending forty billion dollars to Ukraine, but we're not sending jack to us. Um, people are. People are getting concerned, and then there's this talk about, yeah, the job market's booming right now, but there's there's concern that that's going to change soon too. Um, recessions are scary when people when we go into them. It's been a minute since we've been in a recession. What what do you what do you think of that uh, yeah. pred- prediction that that's where people that's where we're headed? Yeah, I mean, and and look, there's there there is a higher chance of recession today than there was at the beginning you know, of the year. And, but let's, let's, let's break down what recession actually is. Cause technically in 2020, when we had COVID, we had the shortest recession on history because the term and definition recession means or is two consecutive quarters of slowing or declining, you know, GDP, even if, Let's just say that GDP declines by 0.1% in a quarter, and then the next quarter it declines by another 0.1%. We are technically, you know, in a recession, but we've also kind of had a little bit of an overheated economy with all of the money that was pumped into 
um, you know, pumped into the, into the, into the bank accounts of us consumers, you know, individual and businesses, uh, in 2020. So I think, I think that the risk of a, of a technical recession is higher today than it was at the beginning of the year. If we get one, I think it's probably the beginning of, of next year. Um, if we get it and the thing that the fed is trying to, you know, the federal reserve is trying to navigate right now, which, you know, a lot of times when we've talked about the fed in the past, Neil, it's always, I've, I've used the term, you know, walking across a tightrope. And, uh, and that, and that is, that is such a great, you know, analogy for where they are today with, with the job that they have is they really are, you know, any slight wrong step could spell, you know, disaster for them. Um, you know, and I think the biggest risk right now for us with the Fed is that they tighten too much, which tighten means to make it, uh, to, to make it, uh, cool off the economy to have a little bit less easy money flowing around. The, the two mechanisms they have to do that is, it's the most obvious one is they raise interest rates. So the cost of, you know, doing things costs more if you have to finance it. Uh, and then the second way is, is by stopping purchasing, you know, our debt, the American bonds, the balance sheet expanding it, letting the, the balance sheet shrink. It has the same impact as, as raising rates. And they said they're going to start shrinking in, in the summertime, um, shrinking the balance sheet. But, if the Fed can maneuver, you know, the term you're hearing is a soft landing. So if the, if the Fed can raise rates enough to, to kind of choke out inflation and start bringing it down without tipping <clears throat> the economy into a recession, um, that's, that's going to be the soft landing they're going to manufacture. You know, a hard landing would be we choke out inflation by just going ahead and raising interest rates, you know, one, one and a half percent and, you know, it tips the economy, it tips us into recession because when interest rates go up, growth is going to slow down. That is the whole purpose of, of raising the interest rates. So if growth slows and it does slow for two consecutive quarters because we've raised interest rates, then technically we have a recession. But I think whatever recession we, if we get into one in 23, uh, I think it'll be relatively mild and probably relatively short because a lot of companies, if you look at them, you know, are, are really healthy and that they're flush with cash. They've got good balance sheets. We don't have a labor shortage issue. We have a supply shortage issue that if that can get fixed, you know, but, we'll but, also but everyone, but everyone's having a hard time, of, but everyone's having a hard time. If you talk to anybody in business, they'll all tell you having a hard time finding employees having a hard time finding labor, having a hard time finding work. Sure. And then you look at the numbers and you say, you know, the jolt numbers, meaning, you know, the job openings to the, to the amount of labor that's out there. Um, you know, you've got more job openings than you have labor out there and dude, and this is, maybe this is a knock at Trump. <clears throat> I think some of this is because we really choked out immigration and slowed it down like legal immigration well, maybe not even legal immigration, maybe illegal immigration too. And we slowed it down. Uh, cause a lot of the, 
you know, and, and likely a lot of the job openings that are out there that, uh, that, that want to be filled, uh, is stuff that maybe the average American saying, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to dig, uh, trenches. I don't want to work in a warehouse. I don't want to work in, and I'm not talking about hospitality industry stuff, but, uh, but you know, a lot of the jobs that there's a lot of, I mean, I, I saw it coming home today from, from Fairhope, you know, I'm driving by Howard Industries on Highway 49, um, you know, right outside of Mendenhall. And they've got, you know, big, huge sign right out in front of their warehouse, you know, asking for forklift operators, um, you know, asking for folks to, it was like three or four different positions. And then, you know, a truck in front of us had a sign on the back of the truck that said, you know, guaranteed $2,500 a week after expenses, you know, to drive trucks. And I'm kind of like, man, those are, those are not bad wages. Oh no. You know? Sure. I mean, and the wages that were, you know, the forklift operator wages were uh, like 20 bucks an hour. I was like, damn, that's, I mean, I don't know how much a forklift operator makes, but I mean, if that's full time, $20 an hour times 2000 hours a year is 40,000 bucks. That's a, I mean, in Mississippi, dude, that's, that's not a bad wage for driving a forklift. Yet they're having a hard time finding people to do it, which right. begs, begs a certain question that there's the, not enough labor out there, right? Well, there's, either there's not enough labor or there's not enough incentive for those people to work. And, and perhaps some of that incentive People say, well, you is higher you, wages. You could pay them more. Yet which which keeps yet, pushing us. So let's just say that we do that. Let's say that they let's say they raise the for, forklift operator to thirty bucks an hour. And that's what incentivizes people to get off their rear ends and Well, but what would incentivize people to get off their rear ends, Martin? I'll finish my little diatribe yeah. here. What would also incentivize is if we would stop some of the, the, the handouts. I'm not talking about handing out to people who are who are disabled or people who are, are, are elderly, but there's there's healthy, able able bodied adults that are claiming unemployment. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. And, man. and that's flawed. It's a, it's a it's it's a major flaw in our system. It's politically incorrect to talk about, but it's true. Yes, it's it is. It's and, true. and also, you know, if uh, immigration policies were were a little more relaxed, you know, maybe. I don't know. Maybe one of my cousins from Cuba would be willing to come to Mendenhall, Mississippi, and you know get the training and become a forklift operator for forty thousand dollars a year. Sure, but we didn't reverse. Even with a new administration, we did not reverse the Trump immigration policies, where he pretty much just kind of shut the door and closed the gates. To yeah, Trump built so country. much of his campaign. And then so much of his presidency around the idea of build a wall, literally and figuratively. And yes. And now the, the you know, the other side knows that it's a it's a political loser to go, no, no, we're gonna tear the wall down. I mean, <laughs> look at look at the reaction to, you know, illegal immigration that's caught on tape. I mean, it's it's not it's it's not popular. Right. It, well, I mean and and look, man, I kind of, I, I kind of agree with it. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna be here, like just do it the right way. But I also realize like that costs money. A lot of those folks, you know, are are unable to do that. And then 
you know, and then a lot of people here honestly exploit the, you know, them not having papers and be able to pay them a little less in cash. And I mean, shoot, man, we had some big industries here in, you know, just outside of Jackson in the like forest and a little South where, you know, uh, they got raided by, by, um, Homeland security and rounded up families, put them on buses. And I have no idea what happened to the children because the children obviously weren't at the factory, but the parents got rounded up and deported. And these were chicken factories, man. Yeah. Not farms. I remember. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, somewhere anyway, somewhere, sorry, somewhere, I, well, rabbit, a rabbit trail does. No, it's okay. It, it, but part of what people are talking about, I mean, it's, Right. Well, and so, and so there's that, more to it than just people look at the, yeah, people look I at mean, that's what keeps pushing, you know, inflation and then energy. I can't remember if we talked this pre-show or if you said it in our, in our intro, um, you know, talking about oil prices, you know, if oil continues to climb and we do end up getting, you know, five, $6 a gallon gas national average. I mean, it's already that in California. So I'm saying like national average five, $6 gas. Uh, I mean, dude, that is the, that is like the baseline part of, of pricing for everything is the cost of, you know, and even Walmart and Target got smashed this week because they came out and said, Hey, um, these are prices. I, these are costs that I cannot pass on to the consumer if I'm trying to continue to be competitive. So it shrinks their bottom line, but their cost of diesel uh, you know, was significantly higher than it was when they did their, you know, when they started, when they did their budgeting a year ago, which I totally understand that. I mean, who would have thought, who would have thought gas was going to go from 60 to 111 in, in a year? Um, or oil, I could, sorry, I could, not gas. I could answer that sarcastically, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause I don't know if you remember us kind of talking about oil I've always been on the, and I still am, that I've been on the, on the soapbox that, you know, 75 to $80 a barrel or even 75 to 85 a barrel, I think is a really healthy spot because, you know, that's kind of $3, 325 for consumers, which is still, you know, on the high side, but it's also enough that the, you know, oil companies are hiring people, they're producing, they're drilling, they're shipping and there's a lot of especially in our part of the country you know a lot of a lot of our you know citizens are working in the energy sector and so it's good for our local economy too but 111 is 111 is high yeah and possibly just going up i'm reading about uh coals we'll use them as a example the, the department store uh Slashed its sales and, and profit targets amid a sharper-than-expected pullback in consumer spending, but executives said suitors remain interested in buying the department cha- store chain ahead of a bid deadline. Uh, while the first quarter started strong, company officials said demand weakened as inflation spurred c- consumers to tighten their belts without the lift from last year's government stimulus to help spending. Sure. Uh, overall sales for the quarter fell 5.2% from a year earlier. Uh, their wallets are being squeezed, so they're coming into the store. They're being a bit more mindful of the brands they're buying and what is going in their basket, Cole's finance chief Jill Tim told analysts Thursday. 
the results of the largest warning sign this week on the retail environment, sparking a major sell-off of shares across the sector. Large retailers, as you were just mentioning, including Target and Walmart, are increasing their sales at rates far slower than they did at the height of the pandemic, and now profits are uh, falling on higher cost. Shoppers are also switching from discretionary purchases to lower margin items like groceries and other household staples, pressuring company profits. Home improvement chains Home Depot and Lowe's are seeing transaction counts fall, but revenue is being supported by higher prices for items across their store. So, I mean, we're kind of getting to that place where it's it's yep. hitting everybody's bottom line. Yeah, and people are going to start making alternative decisions. You know, they're going to go, okay, uh, I bought all the TVs I'm going to buy with my Govy money. Right. Not going to buy any more TVs, but now I'm just living off of what I earn in my paycheck, which, you know, wages have gone up, but wage increases have not kept pace with, with, you know, inflation increases. So people, even though they made more, more money was deposited in their accounts, you know, this year over last, their earnings, I should say their earnings, not money because the government pumped a lot in their earnings are higher than they were last year, but, but inflation has eroded the purchasing power of those earnings. So, you know, now it's, they go by, you know, you remember when not too long ago you go, well, I'm sure you don't buy this in your house. So bad example, I was going to say, a, you know, a two liter Coke at the grocery store is 99 cents. And you know, now it's two nineteen. The doubled. Well, maybe someone says, well, I'm not going to buy a Coca-Cola. I'm going to buy, you know, I don't know, whatever the store brand is, or I'm just not going to buy Coke at all. You know, they, they start making alternative decisions with their money. And that's also how inflation gets checked as well. Yeah. I, what's happening on anything? I mean, pick your product, right? Whether right. it's hundred like, percent, you know, um, when the girls are home, like they are right now for a few days, um, we go through like tons of produce, avocados, um, you know, they like to drink fancy this and fancy that. and You know, all that stuff's doubled in price. And so yeah. I, I keep thinking about people. At, I mean, I'm fortunate, right, that we can afford to right. do, we can afford to do a few things. But people who are less fortunate, I mean, what's what's happening? And, and or just your average, your average Mississippian, you know, because I think we talked about it on the we show. Did. Where we, we broke the numbers. Household incomes like, yeah. like 50 thousand dollars something like that and uh man that squeezes and then the thing we haven't talked about i mean i I know we have in past shows but if like you own your home you don't feel the the home inflation as much but if you're a renter right so let's say you're you're a young person who's freshly graduated from college and you know you're getting your first job and i don't know maybe your first job you make Thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand dollars, right out of school, which for me would have been awesome, but I know that was twenty years ago. Um, let's just say you're making thirty-five thousand dollars, and you know, and your rent goes up by by ten percent. When you're making thirty-five thousand bucks and you're fresh out of college, like there, there ain't a lot of margin there for a rent increase of ten percent. So then, if you get gas going up at, you know, from it was three bucks when you're in your senior year and now it's four or four twenty or whatever. Uh, and then groceries are going up, dude, that starts, that starts eating very quickly into the wallet and people just start making alternative decisions, you know, 
some folks will say, I'm a carpool, so I'm going to spend less on gas. Or they'll say, hey, I can't afford this on my own. I got to find a roommate. Or, you know, I'm not going to eat avocados. I'm going to eat, I don't know, frozen chicken. So it's an, it, it's an election year. As we get as we get closer to it, does that that's Dude, going to put some pressure on? It's going to be ugly if this persists. Which I don't think I don't think that we're going to be out of you know this volatile market and and uh, you know I think I think inflation probably will start abating a little bit you know midsummer because when you're looking at year over year numbers, I mean it, it even happened for us last month like i mean previous month's inflation was 8.5 percent year over year you know last month uh april we thought they thought inflation was going to be you know eight percent year over year so a little bit of a decline or a slowing of the inflation number growing it came in at 8.3 so higher than they thought but still it was not as high as previous month and as we continue on you'll you'll kind of see the inflation number abating a bit Um, but this is going to be a, this is going to be a headwind for every Democrat that's having to defend their, their seat in November is, you know, that question that you ask two years ago when we were talking about elections, when you're saying, you know, a lot of people go into the booth and say, Hey, am I better off today than I was four years ago? I mean, I think a lot of people are going to go into the booth in midterm and say, am I better off today than I was four years ago? Am I better off today than I was two years ago? It's going to be really hard to answer that question. Yes. I don't care who you are. It's going to be hard to answer that question. Yes. I think that's a headwind for, for the Democrats and midterms. So what do you anticipate in this third quarter? Man, if my crystal ball was functioning, I'd give you an exact answer. But here's, I mean, truth of the matter is, is, is I think I think we're I think we're going to be stuck in this kind of choppy market for a while. So, you know, one of the one of the disciplines that we have on our investment management unit. Oh, actually, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna time out. I'm gonna come back to the investing discipline. I, I promise I'll come right back to it. One of the things that's been weird this year is um, usually when when stocks are falling, bonds have a have a you know an offsetting impact to your stock portfolio. And until like last week or this week, bonds did not help mitigate anything to your portfolio. In fact, they added more volatility into the portfolio. So bond prices were falling as stock prices were falling, because usually what you would have, and let's just go simple math, since I don't have a calculator or or anything in front of me. Let's say, you know, you have 50% stock, 50% bond in your portfolio, right? If traditionally speaking, if stocks are down 20%, you know, bonds may be up, you know, five. So for half of your portfolio, you have minus 20%, and that's half. So that equal, that actually contributes negative 10% to the total portfolio. And then on the other half of the portfolio, if the bonds are plus 5% and it's half, it contributes plus two and a half percent to the total return. So if you have negative 
because contribution because stocks are down 20 in their half portfolio and then a positive two and a half, your stock, your entire portfolio would actually be down seven and a half percent. Follow me on the math there. I think so. So if you were a hundred percent stocks, your portfolio is down 20%. Okay. But if you're 50 stocks and it's down 20, you only, you only actually, you only actually get half of that return as a contribution. It's attribution to your total return because it's half of the portfolio. So it's contribution to total return is actually negative 10. And then if bonds are plus five and they're half, their contribution to the portfolio is actually plus two and a half. So at, put those two together, you have a down seven and a half percent instead of being down 20 if you're a hundred percent stock. Most of the time, that's how kind of bonds work is they offset, you know, if you're, it helps you stay fully invested because if you're a hundred percent stock and you're down 20, a lot of folks may say, man, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the eject button. But in this time period, bonds are down 10 also. And let's say, so stocks are down 20. So that side of the portfolio is negative 10% still, but bonds are down 10%. So they contribute another, you know, negative five. So you have a total return of negative 15% in a, in a portfolio with stocks and bonds this year, because the bonds did not offset. So instead of being down only seven and a half, you'd be down, you know, down 15, which, you know, for most folks, that's hard to look at, you know, when you go, why isn't anything working? So back to our discipline, you know, when the markets get down 20%, Reed and I start going, okay, we have to start buying. And right now we're pretty close. That level is actually 3,850 on the S and P 500. And we, we were flirting with it this morning and the S and P is, you know, now up. <laughs> it's so volatile, man. It's now up slightly for the day. So when the stocks are down 20%, we say it's, it's oversold. It's not going to be like this long. So we have to start buying and we don't take big slugs, but we'll start nibbling at it. But man, where do you take that from? Usually you would take that from bonds, which were positive contributors. But where do you take that from when bonds are negative and stocks are negative? And if you don't have cash, it's kind of hard to, to decide where you take that from. But fortunately for, for us, we do have alternatives and hedges in our portfolio and they're about 25, 30% of the portfolio. So when we start getting, if we get down another, you know, negative 25, we'll start selling our hedges and buying more stock. It's what we did in COVID and our clients were, you know, were, were out of it a lot faster than, you know, than the average client. But, but, you know, also in COVID, the bonds worked. So we were able to sell out of bonds. But if you're a normal person in your 401k, you don't have alternatives in your 401k. So really your only option is to ride it out. And that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard place to be if you're all by yourself. Cause I know for me, my mentors used to tell me, you know, my brain is like crack town. You don't ever go there by yourself. You know, I need, I need company if I'm going to get in my own head. And uh, so that's one thing advisors do help with this. So you don't go to crack down by yourself. What do you think the Fed will do? Uh, I think the Fed. Because you've been pretty steady about I they're going to continue to raise these interest uh, rates. Yeah. Even And, and uh, Powell said Tuesday that the 
central bank's resolve in combating inflation shouldn't be questioned even if the steps require push up even if the steps required push up unemployment yeah i think uh, i think the fed rakes they hike again another 50 basis points um i think they may get another 25 in after that and then what i bet happens and this is just my opinion i have no i don't have a line to the fed i haven't talked to the fed this is just what I think is going to happen. I bet you we get a fifth, another 50 basis points or half a percent. We probably get one more, you know, 25 basis points or a quarter percent increase. And then I bet they stop and say, because, you know, I don't think that they, they didn't calculate the Ukraine-Russia conflict in with when they were figuring out, you know, how many hikes were they going to do. And it complicated their, you know, their calculations a little more. But I bet you they're, I bet you they stay steadfast and tough for the next two meetings for May and June. And then, uh, and then I bet you, I bet you a million bucks. Well, I shouldn't bet a million bucks. I bet you a dollar that, uh, <laughs> it's a little different. That, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have them. I don't have a million in cash to, I can give you an IOU for a million. I don't have a million in cash if I lose. Uh, but you know, I bet, I bet they soften up after that. They hard, they take the hard stance of we're going to raise rates. And then I bet you they soften up and say, okay, we're going to, we're not going to hike anymore this year. And, and then I think that's where our markets will kind of start taking off again. So backing into the, what do you think is going to happen third quarter? My hope is that third quarter will be more positive and that fourth quarter will be will be good this year. And, um, because I mean, man, the consumer is still in good shape. Um, you know, and, and corporations, even with rate hikes, uh, we're still, we're still historically at really low interest rates, you know? So, I mean, if a business does, a, you know, builds a plant to make stuff and it costs them, you know, 7% instead of 5%, but their weighted average, you know, return on capital is 35%. You pay the 7% interest rate to make, you know, 35 minus 7, 28% all day long and twice on Sunday. You do that. Now, if their weighted average, weighted average cost of capital ends up being, you know, a 15% return and, you know, interest rates are 10 Maybe you go, ah, I don't know, is, is, is the risk and 5% worth the squeeze? Maybe not, but maybe, but we're still at a really low, historically low interest rates. You know, a lot of really healthy businesses, quality businesses that have cash on their balance sheets. And I mean, and, and honestly, if you got someone that's, that's got cash right now and they're going, Hey, I'm itching to invest man, that's probably what I'm, I'm, I would tell folks, look at, look at really high quality companies with, with good cash on them. And, and some of them that are beat down on price. I mean, dude, Amazon is down so much right now. Do we think Amazon's going anywhere? Are they going out of business? No, they're not. They're on sale at a deep, at a deep discount. So if you snatch a little Amazon right now and you, you hold, and you have time to hold on to it for, you know, for a little while, you're going to, you're going to make money. Everything's on sale right now. 
So bottom line, are you still recommending to your clients to hang tight? Yeah, I say, you know, if I have folks that are going, should I go to cash right now? I was like, I'm kind of like, man, it's, it's too late for that. That, that ship sailed at down 5%, you know, because the risk is you go to cash right now at down 20. Let's say we go down five more percent to 25 and a bottom sets in. And let's say because the markets have been so volatile and so fast, let's say we hit a market bottom, institution steps in, starts buying, it's going to blow very quickly through your exit point, right? And then you're going to be buying back in at a higher level. So in essence, you sold low and you're buying back in at a higher number. Now, if you got out at, you know, when the market was down 5%, then the thing you have to do is not get greedy, right? Right. You have to say, well, you know, I made a good trade on the front end. My big risk now is that I'm, I act like an idiot and wait for this thing to quote unquote bottom out and crash, which I don't even know what that term means. Like people keep saying that to me, like, oh, I heard the market's going to crash. And I'm like, well, how do you define crash? Do, are you mean become worthless or do you mean just like have a big correction and go down 20%? Cause some people say crash and mean different things, but you know, if you get out at down 5% and the market goes down 25 and you go, Hey, it's going to go down more. And it comes back up to, you know, where you're down 15 or down 10, you probably need to get back in because momentum is, you know, is on the side of, of that. It's going to go up. And the biggest risk is the biggest risk for market timing is you have to be right twice. You got to be right when you get out and you got to be right when you get back in. If you're a long-term buyer of stocks, you're always going to be right long-term, you know, because you just have to get in and long-term you're going to make money. Now it might be a year, two years, five years, 10 years, but you're going to be right all the time long-term that's hard for people to hear sometimes no it's, I, I get it i get but it's it. true yeah it's kind of like and i used to say this little folksy little thing i haven't said it in a while to clients i think it's kind of smart ass i don't know if people probably didn't like it because i'm kind of a smart ass and it's but it's a little folksy i'll just say like hey man if you're really upset with your portfolio and you want to throw a brick through my window because you're pissed off at me, throw the brick, uh, just attach a check to that brick. And I'm just going to deposit that check in your account and I'm going to buy stocks. Cause that's generally when it's a really good time to buy is when you're really pissed off because your portfolio is down 20%. That's a good time to buy. I'll fix the window. I might be salty about it, but I'll fix it. All right, let's see what else I wanted to ask you about because there's a lot here. We hadn't talked in a couple of weeks. Um, you surprised the housing market has not been impacted? No. Um, and I, the only reason I say that is because, you know, there's there's still been a bit of a shortage of supply on the market. So, like, my brother is is a perfect example of this. You know, he's an engineer. Uh, you know, he earns a good living. Um, he's been trying to buy a house for 
I don't know, since October, which it's, what is it? It's almost the end of May. So that makes it what, eight, eight months in the, in the running. Yeah. And you know, when he was first trying interest rates were, you know, still really low. The fed had not started hiking rates were not, uh, were not rising yet. And, you know, and he, he was just unable to secure a house because he kept getting outbid. You know, he kept getting, you know, cash buyers coming in and, and snatching them up. And, uh, you know, and even interest rates went up, but that didn't deter him because the cost of owning, even at a slightly higher interest rate, long-term is still much more favorable than the cost of renting uh, long-term. And, and there's still not a ton of supply of homes that, that are out there. So it doesn't surprise me that housing hasn't, um, you know, totally, you know, crapped its pants. Uh, but you know, at some point housing will slow down a little bit and prices will, prices will come down, um, you know, come down some. And, you know, and I think one of the things that, uh, that probably pushed like existing home sales higher, uh, during the last, you know, during COVID, um, was because the cost of lumber and all the stuff that you need to build a house, uh, you know, was, was, was much higher than people's appetite, uh, for the average person's appetite. And then, you know, a lot of people didn't want to wait six months or a year to get something to be able to, to put into their house. So they just go find something that's, that's already existing. That's already there. So I think you probably saw a lot of like custom home builds slow down, uh, but existing home sales, you know, continuing to rock and roll. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Do you, I'm asking you now to look 10 years down the road. <laughs> oh, great. I have a great crystal ball for 10 years down the road. Investors optimism. Uh, let's see. Here's, here's the, here's the build up to this question. It says U S stocks could bounce could well bounce back from their awful start to the year. How they do in the longer run is another matter. Heading into 2022, expectations were great. A Natixis survey of individual investors in 24 countries in 2021 showed U.S. investors had the highest projections of the group at 17.5% annual returns going forward. The difference between that and historical experience is stark compared with, <laughs> yep. yeah, Compared with long-term annual U.S. stock returns of around 9.8%, a $10,000 investment would grow to $50,000 in 10 years instead of $25,000. But even stocks' more restrained long-run returns seem aspirational now. Investors' optimism is easier to understand if one looks at the 10 years through the end of 2021, during which the compound annual return of the benchmark S&P 500 was a very good 16.6%. Not so far from those, what those surveyed extrapolated. Its components need closer scrutiny, though, and then it kind of dives into sales and margin and P.E. ratio and uh, yield. And interest and sh- rates, man. I mean, dude, interest rates were nothing during that whole 10-year spread. It says, with labor and material costs, like you were just talking, rising, and the Trump administration's corporate tax cuts already behind us, it isn't unreasonable to expect that margin boost to stall that that margin boost to stall a reverse even during the tech and housing booms it was unusual for S&P 500 operating profit margins to exceed 9%. Um trying to get to like the nut graph here. 
the the, the headline here is okay, here we go. As sour as the mood has seemed, the S and P five hundred would drop by another forty five percent or so if both margins and price earnings um, multiples reverted to their long run averages. About the decline that's that's an analysis suggest taking the benchmark back to a level it first crossed five years ago. That sounds alarmist, but stocks levels in 2031 could be the same, uh, whether that analysis is correct or, or not about a sharp bear market. The alternative could be milder sell-offs and recoveries along the lines of what we have experienced recently that led stocks exactly nowhere. It isn't the journey. Spencer Jacob writes in wall street journal. It's the destination. Sure. Uh, well, we kind of had a lost decade. Um, so if you kind of look at the, you know, 2000 through 2010 time frame, and you kind of look at, you know, if you would have invested, let's just say 10 grand, um, you know, the beginning of 2000, not put another dollar in. And then you look at 2010 at what your, um, <clears throat> you know, at what your investment looks like. Uh, you know, then it would have been roughly the same, excluding dividends. And that's why dividends and interest income, you know, in a diversified portfolio are are also so important to the overall investing, you know, strategy. Because, you know, if the S&P 500 or your, let's just say your stock portfolio, let's say it distributes, uh, you know, two and a half percent in dividends. And also during that time, you know, the 2000 through 2010, uh, interest rates were significantly higher, you know, CDs would, uh, would, would, would have returned somewhere in the, I don't know, three, 4% 10 year treasury, probably in the five and a half to six and a half. I'm just going off the top of my head. I don't have numbers in front of me, but they were significantly higher. And although they were gradually falling during that time frame, So if you had, a, again, let's say that 50, 50 portfolio, that existed, um, you know, uh, like we talked about earlier, the bond portion of your portfolio would not only be kicking you out, let's just say it kicks out 4%, you know, interest income, but the bonds were increasing in value because interest rates were falling during that time period. Uh, you know, and if stocks were essentially flat, you know, from a price perspective, although if you look at what happened during that 10 years, they were anything but flat, it was just very volatile. You had two huge recessions and and market downturns in that time period. You had, you know, the 2001, um, 2002, 2003-ish range where, uh, you know, after the September 11th attacks and, you know, we kind of everything went, went south um, in the markets and then they recovered. And then obviously you had 2008, which was a bear. I mean, that thing was a monster. Um, you know, stocks were down 50% top to bottom 2008 and then recovery, you know, through 2010. So if you're looking at, you know, mountaintop to mountaintop, or let's say this, if you went into a coma beginning of 2000 and you came out the end of 2010 and you just looked at your price, you go, Oh, nothing happened. But that's far from, from what really happened because you had dividends. If you're in retirement, that's a more likely scenario. But like, let's say it's me and you, Neil, and we're putting money in our 401k, you know, every pay period. Okay. You had great buying opportunities during that market. So our account value would not be the same. 
we would have, you know, bought a lot of shares during two huge downturns and then have those rides back up. So our account value would show, you know, would show that we actually have a lot more. If you're looking at the dollar amount, we would have a lot more money because we're constantly putting money to work in there. But, you know, even though the S&P 500 levels would have been the same, our account value, the amount of money we have would be significantly different. Um, but let's go back to the scenario of, you know, a lost decade of stocks. If, if interest rates return to some type of normalcy and you end up in a 50-50 stock and bond portfolio and stocks perform and you're a retiree, let's say this happens the day you retire. So you're never dropping another dollar, you know, into your, into your investment strategy. You just got to live off of it. And you're getting, let's just say you get two and a half percent in income on your stocks. And let's say on your bond, you're able to get, you know, let's just say 5% just for, for easy math. So you've got a, you know, a total return each year of, you know, 5% from the bonds, from the income, two and a half percent from, from the stock. So your, your real interest rate is probably somewhere in, you know, the 3.75, almost 4% uh, of income off of your portfolio, which, which is exactly what we tell people, you know, you need to kind of expect to draw off of, you know, about 4% of the portfolio. So if you hit a lost decade with stocks, that's why you have diversification to be able to get income from somewhere else. And, you know, one of the things we've started putting in client portfolios is um, it's a real estate play. It's not traded. So it's not a, like a real estate investment trust that you would, you know, buy on, on the mark, you know, on the stock market, but it's just an income play. And it, you know, it kicks out about five and three quarter percent, uh, you know, income, you know, out of that play. And it's kind of a bond proxy. So there are ways to find income in a in a sideways market, which is what you want. Which I mean, if, if a market sideways, that means also probably interest rates are are a good bit elevated. So it doesn't it doesn't make me nervous at all. If all I had was the ability to buy stocks for a client, then maybe I'm nervous. But but I have a full tool belt, so I can use whatever I need to use. Well, that's good to hear. You answered a lot of questions that I think a lot of people like me have kind of. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. One of my mentors told me, he said, you know, there's really no such thing as a, and it's kind of flippant, but he's, he's kind of, I get his point. He says, there's really no such thing as a bad market. There's a bad time to buy and there's a bad time to sell. Cause like, if you're a long-term investor, it's going to change. So just be a long-term investor. And buy when it's the right time to buy, and you know, and sell when it's the right time to sell. Doesn't mean you sell all of it; just sell what you need to sell. Rebalance. On that note, uh, we're going to close. I think I've got a Labrador cool. Retriever that's yakking on a bone or something, so it's probably <laughs> cool, a, probably a sign that we need to bolt. Uh, we'll get back with you next week. Stay on the schedule. At least that's the plan. We'll be back next week with yep. another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. Don't forget it's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. So until next time, for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Take care.